because it's like, well, you're not the four-year-old, the three-year-old, or the two-year-old, so you get the house key, and you need to start helping me. Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 73. Today we're going to talk about birth order personality theory. It's just the most fun topic we can think of this week, right? <laughs> yeah, it seems casual, <laughs> light. Get into it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought it was interesting because I, I stumbled across an article that was basically talking about how uh, there's there's something called oldest child sy- syndrome, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, I have an I have a child who's now an oldest child. Yeah, and I freshly. wonder if that's going to affect him. It may well do. We can get to the yeah. bottom of it today. Yeah, we can. But I guess before we do that, let's uh, let's update it up. Yes, sir. Uh, Nico is, as this recording comes out, he'll be 22 months old exactly. I wanted to update on last week's, uh, sorry, I want to update on last week's updates mm. in terms of constipation. And oh, right the cures that we have landed on because we now have a relatively free flowing baby. Oh, that's good news. Yeah. He's, uh, he's pooping up a storm. He had two poops yesterday. Wow. Uh, the day before that he had one poop. I mean, it's just, it's, it's working out pretty well. I would say that of all the things we tried, um, we do give him a little bit more water. We got him a new cup that he's interested in. So okay. he just enjoys drinking from the cup. He does a lot of compai. That's about 10% of it. But I think 90% of it, we were looking at foods that um, basically are high in fiber or mm. help uh, to, you know, help to move things along. And we landed on corn as our big solution. Huh. And uh, corn has a notorious role in poop. It's kind of <laughs> gross, but it's famously associated. And uh, but there's actually something to it. The reason you see it is because it's got non-digestible, like right. you know, little husks on each kernel, and so uh, that is uh, like a, a good thing to inspire the flow. Gotcha. And uh, it just so happens that Nico loves corn and we knew he's okay. He'll eat a bit of corn, but then we started serving just full on corn as a side dish. And he'll have three or four full helpings of corn as a side dish. He just can't get enough corn. So I bought the 12 pack of canned corn from Costco and Uh, uh, he's getting through a can every couple of days. Those are great. I mean, yeah, you can just crack one of those cans and just eat it. You can like a hobo. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even have to put it over the barrel fire. I mean, you can just put the spoon right in. But no, uh, yeah, cold. I'll I'll dump one of those into a pot, <laughs> heat it up for a few minutes on the stove, and then you got a side dish. And I'm just ladling it out, and he's eating it as fast as he can. Wow. And um, it's definitely changed the nature of his poos <laughs> in terms of what they look like. There's a, a detectable corn influence now, but it's yeah. kind of going like pretty consistently. So we're just pushing all of our chips forward. All of our eggs in, are in one basket, and the basket is corn. Uh, well, so that, if he ever turns fitting. against it, yeah, I don't know what we'll do. It's fitting because, like, I mean, you're American, so it's like the mm-hmm. land of corn, exactly. And he's he's half Japanese, which means for some reason there's like a corn obsession here. Yeah, a lot you of can't corn. Go anywhere without seeing like a corn soup, a corn potage. Yeah, even the vending machines have those little canned corn drinks. Yeah, and there there'll be corn on pizza as a topping sometimes. I mean, it's all That's, over the yeah. place. Yeah, so it's crazy. And if you if you'll remind yourself of elementary school pizza day, we always had pizza and corn. Right, that was the combo. What? We as a side dish on pizza day on Fridays in elementary school, it was always corn. Maybe this was like wow. the Kentucky corn lobby getting the state government to put it on our trays. I don't know. We did not have that. Oh, yeah. Well, for us, classically, it was pizza corn all the time. And we are a fairly often pizza eating family. So that's a good nice. opportunity for corn. But that is my only recommendation because it's like the main thing we changed and it's really worked um, to um, well, that's just good. flush them out with corn. But uh, he, you know, he still eats everything else. He has a pretty well-rounded dinner. It's just a side dish now, always uh, of a bit of corn. Mm. 
so that's helped a lot and uh we did have to do one more um concho or uh, suppository uh so yeah you know we did the one we talked about last time but we did another one and then the corn really took hold and we haven't done one since then oh okay that's good yeah uh my recommendation for the suppository is this is the only moment we've allowed Anpanman in the house, which is like wow. the Japanese cartoon hero Anpanman. And we tried to do like English only, you know, entertainment in the house. Yeah. And uh, I thought, you know, Anpanman is something he never gets access to. So it's going to really hold his attention while we do the suppository. And mm. maybe he'll associate Anpanman with the suppository experience and then get put <laughs> off of Anpanman a little bit. So it was a, a double win. And uh, that's how we got through it. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, well a couple other things. Uh, we talked about this off mic a week or two ago, and we might have talked mm. about it on last week's episode. No one can remember. But Nico had his first laugh at something in a TV show that was supposed to be a joke, you know? Mm. And it was in the Garfield Thanksgiving special from, I think, the late 80s. And they're trying to get John Arbuckle out of bed and um, Odie smashes together some symbols and uh when he smashes them it makes a big symbol-y crash sound and then john's head like wiggles back and forth like in a vibrating fashion and so that's written to be entertaining for kids and kind of a funny visual and every time nico sees it he just cracks up he just nice. loves it and laughs and that's the first thing that's ever been like media that was designed to be funny that he's recognized as funny and laughs at and i think Landed. that's yeah kind of a crazy milestone but he's like on board now with jokes you know hmm. because before a kid would like you know he'll see like a bird and laugh at it you know it's like right. just random stuff so this one is kind of uh like a next well, level thing for me you're all primed with dad jokes now so you can just let yeah. them out anytime <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm gonna start introducing those slowly but surely uh i also wanted to mention the Christmas movies were like on a every night or every other night, kind of a Christmas movie rampage. Uh, now we watched the yeah. Garfield Christmas movie, which I don't really like that much. I'm a big Garfield holiday fan, but the Garfield Christmas movie is probably the weakest of Garfield Halloween, Garfield Thanksgiving, Garfield Christmas. I don't know that I watched it as I may have watched it once, but I don't remember it. I think it came out later than the others. It came out in the nineties a little bit and uh, oh, Halloween okay. and Thanksgiving were in the eighties. So it was the last mm. of the trilogy, and the problem is John takes Garfield and Odie to his parents' house out in the country, and they do Christmas out there. So it's like unfamiliar territory, none of the characters uh, that we've come to know and love, and um, it it kind of falls flat. So right, that's my okay. one-star review of Garfield Christmas, but we still watch it. Um, gotcha. My five-star review goes to A Muppet Family Christmas from 1987. Also, don't know if I've seen it. I mean, oh yeah, I must have, but yeah, it's a nice stick. It's kind of like a one-hour TV special, so you know, forty-five minutes, fifty minutes, something like that. Sure. And it's the Muppets, uh, and then they're staying at Fozzie Bear's mom's house for the Christmas holiday, and then the joke is that every uh, every time you turn around, another Muppet is arriving, and the house is just getting overrun with Muppets, and then eventually all of the Sesame Street crew visits as well. And so okay. you have the rare overlap of the Muppets universe and the Sesame Street universe. And if your kid is into Sesame Street, he gets to see Bert and Ernie and Big Bird and everybody like that. And then they're okay. all mixing in with, you know, uh, Kermit, Fozzie Bear, Gonzo and everyone. So interesting. It's wonderful. It's just like firing on all cylinders. Jim Henson makes an appearance like in the flesh, real Jim mm. Henson, which is always touching to see. And it it's just so good. It's so funny. So nice. that's my number one recommendation. The other movie we watched recently, uh, it was Prancer from, I think, 1989. Uh, did you ever watch Prancer? I, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> we watched completely different Christmas movies. <laughs> I'm a big, uh, I don't know, like a huge, I, I watched all the others like, you know, Elf and um, with Will Ferrell and Rudolph, like the claymation one. Like I've seen all the oh, yeah. big name classics, but there are some that just hold a special place in my heart. And Interesting. I, I hadn't seen Prancer in like 20 years, but it's the story of a, a girl who uh, finds a reindeer out in the woods and is convinced that it's Prancer and that she needs to get this reindeer okay. to like hook up with Santa Claus again before Christmas so that he can fly around and, you know, 
do the whole Christmas thing. So um, it sounds like a nice, fun, Christmassy, uh, like sounds like a kid's kind of delusion. Yeah, yeah, she does. (laughs) That's a big part of the movie, actually, is that nobody believes her. Um, and it, it sounds not. kind of like, you know, Christmas miracle kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. Prancer's here. We really found him. But that's how I remembered it. And then I watched it and it is set against a backdrop of crushing rural poverty. <laughs> that just <laughs> did not register with me as a child. But like, for one thing, not this is not a big spoiler, but the mother has died before the events of the movie take place. And oh, okay. this leaves like a kind of uh, like a hole to be filled. Yeah. Well, there's like the dad is kind of a salty, grizzled. He is Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott plays the dad. So wow. okay. he's like very grizzled and very earthy and doesn't have a very care, like not no caring bone in his body. And then his wife's died and he's got to raise this daughter by himself. <laughs> and they're struggling financially <laughs> because it's a single parent household. And um, it's so sad. Like every bit of it is gritty (laughs) rural drama. And then there's just like 2% Christmas miracle sprinkled on top. And uh, man, that's a brutal movie. So does he, by the end of the movie, turn around and crack a smile? uh, That would be the Christmas miracle of that movie. (laughs) It's yeah. It's hidden behind his voluptuous mustache, (laughs) but it's like, excellent. That movie, if you want to see like what we had to deal with in the 80s in terms yeah. of like now everything, you turn on Netflix and there's a hundred sparkly CGI options that are like a laugh a minute madness, you know? Sure. And it's like, you know, in the 80s, we had Prancer and we liked it and it was yeah. sad. And that's <laughs> as good as we could do. That was it, man. So I recommend watching it just to see what like a crushing, depressing okay but still meant to be somewhat uplifting Christmas movie is like, uh, they argue constantly. It's the Christmas movie with the most arguments per minute, like full on family arguments between a cold abrasive day. So it's pretty real. It's pretty real basically. (laughs) Yeah. So can I, can I piggyback on this Christmas movie? Cause I've been really disappointed lately. Uh huh. All of the streaming services that we subscribe to and it's three at this point. Uh So we get Netflix, Disney Plus, uh, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. All of these lack any like real classic Christmas movie for free. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What the hell are we paying yeah. for? <laughs> yeah. There's no elf in there. Yeah. Uh, there's no Christmas vacation, National Lampoons. Mm-hmm. I think one of them has Home Alone, but it might only be the sequels, which oh, makes really? it worse. Ew. Yeah. Like the. The Grinch, there's not that one. Um, none of like the classic Christmas ones like Frosty the Snowman or Santa Claus C- Comes to Town. None of those. It's all just crap Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. That's the trouble. I think the Christmas movies are still like a draw in terms of people are willing to pay for them individually. That must be it, you know? And Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. So they don't drop them on streaming. The thing, I think uh, the theme of my Christmas movies is that they all came out like in the 80s or 90s and they were all sort of second tier. And that means uh, that they're yeah. all free on YouTube, buddy. Hell yeah. yeah. So we did find a nice like two hour Christmas, like it, it contains like all of like the Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus and those kind of Christmas cartoons for kids on youtube so that one was good yeah it's youtube so you're getting tons of commercials yeah that's the trouble um if it's the one that we watched yeah it's long and it's got all the classic claymation ones like the claymation rudolph yeah that's out there so youtube for free is how we've been rolling yeah us too unfortunately but um those are my reviews. Uh, I definitely recommend a Muppet Family Christmas from 87 and Prancer from 89 just for the okay. experience. But I could watch a Muppet Family Christmas like every day for a month and just love every second of it. It's wonderful. Well, that's good. Uh, side note, how lucky are the Muppets that when they were coming up with the Swedish chef character, they chose the Swedish as <laughs> the foreign <laughs> community to parody <laughs> Can you imagine 
how much Muppets material would be retracted from the world if they had chosen. If it wasn't Swedish. Yeah, if it wasn't <laughs> Swedish. If they had gone almost any other direction. But I guess way back in the day, they had the presence of mind to know that Swedish people would always be funny. I think okay. even back then, like everything else was off limits and you're like, Swedes, that's what we got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Swedes. That's what we're left with. But can you imagine if it were just like the Jamaican chef? Oh, it would be horrible. It would be unwatchable now. But uh, Swedish chef is still uh, hanging on by his human fingernails. It's very (laughs) Um, Anyhow, those are all my updates. Uh, What do you got with your pair of Kodomos? We've got more sickness in the house. Oh, my God. It was another week of more sickness and more canceled plans. It, it hit everybody. So I think it hit like Coda first, like Sunday or something, just a little mildly. And then by Monday, like me and Moe were just down. We hit the same time, same like pain. So mm-hmm. uh, we're doing better now. Everybody's better. Coda missed one day of daycare and then got sent home after lunch on the second day um, just from coughing too much. but. Mm-hmm back at it and uh yeah it's just man two kids under two is stressful did i mention <laughs> I that imagine, last time i imagine i may have mentioned that last time yeah. i just find myself like losing patience a lot and like not having energy to do stuff most days yeah <laughs> the wild so, thing is i don't want to twist the screw <laughs> but <laughs> you guys are still on parental leave eh yeah, exactly. We're still yeah. on the rental leave. That's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I keep wondering because I go back to work in uh, three weeks-ish. Yeah. I keep like keep like saying to Moe, like, what's going to happen when I go back to work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like most days, like I try to like pretend like I do do something because I'm trying to study right now to get a better job. And so in the mornings, I'll try to act like I'm at work. Uh huh. Isn't fair to her, I understand, but I'm still tr- I'm trying to get in that groove of okay, I gotta I gotta be gone mm-hmm. and do this. So maybe maybe that'll help kind of get us in the in the momentum when when I do go back. Yeah, that's good. I think it's fair, um, especially considering that parental leave is just not really something that people in the U.S. take advantage of. So. If you were in the yeah. U.S., you would have been back to work now for like two and a half months, you know, and uh, doing the regular yeah. thing. So you're still somewhat more accessible and it's kind of a nice compromise and you're doing something constructive toward employment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, what else was I going to say? Yeah, we're kind of in this uh, weird phase right now. I think Coda's. We haven't really talked about it much on here, but his development isn't basically what it should be. Like he's definitely not up to what anywhere near Nico is in terms of like verbal development at Mm -hmm. all. His language skills are really lacking. He says a lot of stuff like he's Mm -hmm. really talkative, but it's just his own kind of language. And it's a lot of repeated sounds still. Yeah. And so... And he's not using any like gestures very much to kind of communicate that way. Mm-hmm. So there's no pointing, there's no like asking him to do something and then him understanding it mm-hmm. really, which were the precursors to to the language learning. So he's yeah. not really clicked with a lot of that stuff. And so we're starting to like look into different services that we can do, like try to help or like understand like what we can do at home and man, it's hard. It's hard. There's not a lot of services out there. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We, uh, we have one through the city's health department that's kind of monthly and it's an hour long or an hour or two long kind of class where like anybody in the city who thinks their kid could be a little delayed or something can bring their kid and then there's some service workers in there, but there's not any like one-on-one attention. So you don't get like an hour of like assessment done. It's more Mm -hmm. just like 
yeah, they're all playing together and kind of seeing what's happening and then they can give some advice, but it's not like a, a real like dedicated service for yeah. your kid. So we do that every now and then we had to miss it uh, this week because of sickness, obviously. So now we got to wait till next month, which is fantastic. You know, <laughs> got to love that. Uh, and then the other one is like a, a we an actual assessment we found, mm-hmm. but it's so popular. I don't maybe not popular is the best word. I don't know, but they're booked up until February to get your kid in, mm. and we called like a month ago, mm. and the soonest that we could get Coda in there to to get assessed is February. Wow, yeah, yeah. That's so he'll be coming up on two by the time yeah even which may in. be better because you know the older they get the easier it is to understand if it's a delay or if it's actually a disorder or something yeah and have you been trying to measure all this against the bilingual nature of his life in terms of what they always say like bilingualism yeah makes you appear like that yeah. you're slower in language yeah, I've definitely considered that, but it's the physical delays. Or not in terms I shouldn't of say gesturing. physical. Yeah, I'd say I guess more cognitive delays mm-hmm. in terms of like gesturing and understanding, taking orders, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it I mean I I still not am not like a hundred percent sure, like, oh yeah, he's definitely got a disorder or something, but mm-hmm. Uh, he is delayed for sure. Mm-hmm. So it could come around and everything could be fine. You never know. But, you know, at this point, we're just kind of doing the steps that we can take to to try to understand it if it goes either way. Yeah. Um, this is uh, not exactly a one-to-one for your situation, but there's someone in my family who uh, didn't talk until he was about five years old. And Crazy. Uh, it was because... The theory is that when he was very young, he had a lot of ear infections, and oh. then uh, it was pretty much constant ear infections for a long time. And then later they thought, well, maybe he actually wasn't hearing very much uh, for the first couple of years of his life because right. he just couldn't hear. And so then uh, things got on track with his hearing, but then he missed that baby phase of the language uptake. And so he was like coming online with language at like three years old, four years old. And uh, he was just silent until he was about five. I think it was the first time I heard him talk. And then uh, he like, but when it came online, it fully came online. And today, like he's, you know, funny and like sharp on top of everything. And it's like, you would never have guessed that he had any kind of delay earlier in life. Do you know if he had any of that cognitive delay as well? Like, um, I don't know. We, I guess we were too close in age and I was not really aware of it. Uh, and yeah. It's been so long ago now, but, um, uh, yeah, I remember as a child, it was always just a bit weird because there was just one kid who, I mean, it's not an overstatement to say never talked. You just never heard him say anything. And right. That was a bit strange among the kids, but now, you know, he's just like an absolutely like normal and all in the positive sense of the word, you know? Okay. That's good to hear. So uh, it's, yeah, I think the kids retain all that plasticity for so long that um, if there is something or if like the bilingualism is taking its toll on Coda more so than another kid. um, It could. It's like the dam could break at a certain point and then he catches up within the following year, you know, something like that. So personally, my total non-expert opinion as a podcast hosts is <laughs> that there's still time yet which is what you're saying as well uh, yeah i think so and it's not that he's not like pick picking up on stuff like i think i think there was a period when we started daycare when he got all the sickness that you could get mm-hmm. possible in like a four-month window yeah and i think that might have helped to slow a lot of that down mm-hmm because I, re- I do remember we we took a trip to Seattle earlier in the year and he was, I don't remember thinking anything was wrong. 
mm-hmm. or that anything was slower. We taught him to high five. He was doing that fine. He was using Walker fine. Uh, and then the daycare and then all the sickness. And I think it just kind of like put a stop and paused everything for him. Yeah. And he's doing better, I think, now. But it's just that maybe, like you said, could it be just that gap? Yeah. Like we we just started getting him back into doing high fives again. Uh-huh. And so he's doing that again, but he's still not doing like saying bye or waving. He yeah. doesn't like clap when people clap. So yeah, there's still definitely a, a delay there. Yeah. And I wonder if you were to tally up all of his sick time. I mean, it's literally if it takes the energy oh, out of man. him or just makes him sleep more for example or just has him lay down rather than run around yeah it's like every instance of that is an opportunity missed for developing some kind of physical or uh, speech skill or something so maybe it's just that he's had like say 75 percent the input of a kid his age because he spent a lot of time sick Um, yeah i think so it could be something like that there is i think there's also an issue with his sleep that either is a result of the delay or causing the delay. I'm not sure, but his sleep is pretty terrible. Oh yeah. Like going to bed at night, it can be rough, but I think it's pretty normal for any kid, but like he will consistently wake up in the night, usually waking up anywhere from like 12 to 1 AM and staying awake for like two to three hours at a oh, time. Oh, crazy. Yeah to the point where he's maybe getting a total of 10 hours sleep with a nap during the day, Mm -hmm. which I think for his age is really low. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely some issues maybe with the sleep that, you know, exacerbate whatever delay is already happening or yeah, something. That's interesting. Uh, Yeah. That's something to look up uh, for a future episode for sure. I've never thought about the kids with sleep troubles like that. No, yeah, I hadn't either. It's actually pretty funny because, like, Emma being a three-month-old baby right now, you'd think, like, oh, she's going to be causing you guys so much, like, sleep issues. and But she's the one who sleeps through the night. Yeah. Like, we'll take turns. We've got them in separate rooms, and, like, we'll switch, and we'll be like, okay, you get Emma tonight because you need sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love how it's kind of like when you play a video game and one character is low on health. And so you're like, yeah, I'll take this next, next batch of enemies. You're about to die. Yeah, that's right. You sit in the back and hang out. Yeah. yeah. And then you find some pizza and get your health meter full. I'm thinking of, of course, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was thinking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Turtles in time. Yeah. Super Nintendo. Uh, so awesome. yeah, that's wonderful. You've, Found ways to recharge your meters. That's good. Yes. Yes. Pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, speaking of Emma, is that your Emma update? Anything further? Uh, yeah. No, she's doing really great. I mean, we just talked last week about her and she had her her vaccines, but nothing since then. I think she missed the sickness, although she did get a little stuffy nose this week, which... Moise had to help her with but yeah she's been doing great she's really and I don't know if this is because I'm remembering Coda wrong at this age or if I just I see her now compared to Coda now but I feel like she's like way more engaged Mm. like she's very smiley and she loves to look at you Mm. which I don't remember Coda doing so much at this age yeah uh yeah, I feel like I was also kind of wanting with Nico, like um, he didn't, you know, you picture oh, your really? baby, like you read some stuff like at one month, your baby will stick their tongue out when you stick your tongue out and you get kind oh, of like yeah. high hopes and Nico never really locked in with any of that stuff. I never yeah. felt like he was too interested in either of us, but yeah. uh, maybe Emma's exceptionally outgoing among our tiny sample size. I think, yeah, she might be at least from what I know. Yeah, she's very, she's very interested and she loves to be around people and always needs to be carried. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Doing well. The, yeah. yeah, two under two. All right. Well, that's all I got. So we can cool. sail this 
ship to Sigmundville. <laughs> In honor of the recently passed Jimmy Buffett, take uh, the ship down to Sigmundville. Have a hamburger and Segman Paradise. Um, you brought this up, uh, an article about birth order. And what was the the language you gave it? The oldest child syndrome? Yeah, they, they titled the article, Understanding Oldest Child Syndrome and How It Shapes Childhood Development. I've heard about the kind of, well, not necessarily oldest child syndrome, but birth order theory and how it uh, supposedly affects personalities and years ago I landed on this as a way to visualize it it's full house okay like the number one is obviously Danny Tanner right he's like the patriarch he's got the kids so Danny Tanner is kind of like the main character and he's the type a follow the rules keep the house clean kind of a guy and then second in the hierarchy is Uncle Jesse he's like related to the family you know he's the brother-in-law of of danny tanner and uncle jesse with his mullet and his motorcycle and his band he's obviously the rebel you know and then you've got third in the pecking order is joey gladstone and he's a comedian and he's foolish (laughs) and so (laughs) this is birth order theory though they're not three brothers they're definitely a one two three in the pecking order and they perfectly fit the model and uh if you want a backup example that's way less famous <laughs> but this is the movie legends of the fall did you ever watch that movie 90s yeah yeah brad pitts and uh aiden quinn aiden. anthony hopkins yeah uh the oldest brother's alfred he goes into politics and then brad pitt tristan is the very rebellious one who travels the world and you know is always sure. here and there has a lot of depression mental problems and stuff and then the uh the third one samuel he's not really funny but he is an innocent and they're sort of in that order and i think in uh literature or these aren't examples of literature but in fiction anyway it must be a nice little kind of trope or whatever to kind of say like okay i've got the oldest the middle and the last and i can just make them serious rebellious and kind of silly or innocent Hmm. Uh, so i think you do see it here and there out in the world I wonder if that's like because of like pop culture and stuff. Like we see that stuff like Full House or Legends of the Fall, and then we associate that. Or is there was which one was first? Which what's the chicken or the egg here? That's a good question. Um, I mean the the birth order theory predates those two examples, but I can't think of any like very old Hollywood examples. Of that kind of the dynamic, three stooges. the three stooges, yeah, they're <laughs> foolish, foolish, and foolish. But the oldest one, I guess, is the leader. I don't know. He's the uh, leader. He's very serious. Yeah, he is. He's always I, angry. I'm not familiar <laughs> enough with the three stooges to say, but um, yeah, there's something to it in terms of it's a nice way to visualize or to set up three characters. You know, I guess so. Yeah, uh, and so then you wonder, wait, which, which, which birth order were you in your family i'm first uh across the board like well, if that you make sense yeah if you include step <laughs> siblings or if you don't i'm just the oldest gotcha. uh, and um for me like if you break it down as though the oldest is the one that follows the rules type a and then the second one is rebellious in some frameworks the second one's rebellious and then the third one's like silly i feel equal parts all three of those things like yeah, I do like to follow yeah. the rules, but in some massive ways in my life, I've been rebellious, like fully giving up on religion, which is like a, a huge rebellion and like long right. hair in high school and college and black, like metal t-shirts and stuff. And then, uh, I also feel like I'm in some ways the silliest one or, you know, like trying hmm. to be funny as well. And I feel like one third solidly of each of those three things personally. Yeah. I get that. Um, are you you're the oldest of two right no i am the youngest of two youngest of two okay i had it backwards so but i don't know like i don't know how these like when these are supposed to set in personality wise because like if you're 
five years older than your middle sibling and then five mm. years older than the youngest sibling. Yeah. You're 10 by the time you're, you know, your youngest brother or sister comes out. Yeah. You're pretty set in your ways. Yeah. You're not going to suddenly turn type A because, oh, now there's three of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, um, that's a big thing I was going to mention in terms of this discussion is like, there's so many things to consider in terms of like, what about large gaps in age? So for yeah. me, it was, there was me and then there's eight years to the middle child. And then there's 10 years to oh, the damn. next child. So I was a senior in high school when the youngest one was born. Oh and then yeah. There's not like competition between the two of you, right. between any of us, because we're never even close to the same age or size or not in the same school, like nothing. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot you of might that as well be cousins. Yeah, pretty much. It it kind of uh, fell by the wayside for us. But then I was reading more about it. And there are also things to consider, like, what if you come from quite a poor country in terms of mm. maybe, you know, like for us, uh, there's no we could have 10 kids and we could figure out a way to feed all of them adequate calories, you know? Yeah. Um, but in some countries, there's a big difference between having one mouth to feed and like five mouths to feed. And yeah. so when you're born as the fourth or fifth, I mean, even the third, uh, you're in an environment where there's a lot more dire straits. But when there's one, maybe things feel a lot more comfortable. So yeah, that makes sense. Then there's also things like uh, cultural background, like Asia, for example, there's more importance mm. still placed on the oldest child in terms of, well, you're the oldest, so you need to take care of yep. the parents in their old age. And it's just kind of a, a rule. Um, and Japan, a little bit, maybe lesser so than uh say taiwan or uh china korea but um it's still present no i think it's still pretty present here yeah Uh, there's a lot i have some friends uh that i work with here who are uh not japanese but from other asian countries they'll often mention like well it's different with asian parents though because blah blah you know the parents have when they're talking about their own parents in terms of like uh, still guiding life decisions and things like that. And makes sense. Yeah. So there, that would change the dynamic a lot if you're born into a more structured hierarchy, like culturally in sure. terms of the cultures putting a lot on you in America, it's sort of a free for all. So right. um, it, it doesn't, I mean, the rules must apply differently across like economic differences, cultural differences and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So all that aside, uh, what have you stumbled upon here in oldest child syndrome? Um, basically, it just kind of glosses over what you said about like the full house stereotypes of mm-hmm. oldest child being kind of type A, drawn to leadership and that kind of thing. Um, but it also kind of gave some insight maybe into like issues that could come up with that. Mm-hmm. which is kind of what I was more concerned with when I was reading this article. Like, you know, what, what could the potential downfalls be to Coda of being the older child and how could I help kind of mm-hmm. mitigate that? And so, yeah, they're saying like, you know, like small advantages that come from being the firstborn in terms of like reading and literacy, if, you know, they're progressing at a normal rate and, uh, that kind of stuff. But then, and uh, according to the article, I'll, I'll read what they say, but um, in addition to personality, being an oldest child can impact a person's mental health. If too much responsibility is placed on the oldest sibling, then the child may feel like they did not have enough of a childhood because they were asked to do the, or asked to do as the oldest sibling. Um, if family lacks boundaries, then this could lead to mental health struggles and anxiety and depression. It makes sense. Um, I wanted to give one further example that, um, it doesn't factor into that in all of the, it's negative aspects exactly, but, uh, just in terms of giving maybe undue responsibility to an oldest child and how birth order may be reinforced kind of, uh, from external means. My, Mm. um, I've talked about this before, but on my dad's side, all my aunts and uncles, like his brothers and sisters, they were uh, essentially, they were one, two, three, and four years old. They were all born back to back like that. And then that's when their father died. So my grandmother was a single mother with one, two, three, and four year old. And then tough lady. Yeah, for sure, (laughs) man. 
the story this was in, yeah, in the 60s and the story goes that um i i might be off by a year or two in this but when the oldest one was five the oldest one got a house key because <laughs> it's like well you're not the four-year-old the three-year-old or the two-year-old so you get the house key <laughs> and you need to start helping me be sure that these kids are like coming home from kindergarten <laughs> and getting into the house and like you're in charge now damn and so uh, that, if you look at that family, those siblings, um, that aunt, she uh, she's the oldest one. She's still very much in charge of all of them, you know, like uh, not, not like she's calling the shots, but she's the most sort of like right. organized uh, things are in their place, kind of spotless. And then kind of like, I don't know, she's just always had that commanding kind of presence. Right. And you have to wonder, is that just classic oldest child syndrome or is that because her mom was like, look, you're in charge now. And it's just, yeah. that's how it had to be in that scenario. So right. I think like um, there's the oldest child uh, concept, but then any bit of individual information or like the specifics to that situation is mm. going to really dictate, you know, it could drive it home uh, that, that stereotype or it could totally overturn it, like reverse yeah. it, like whatever about the, individual situation is probably going to yeah. truly dictate the terms. In my own experience, my sister's a year and a half, almost two years older than me. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was never that way. Uh -huh. uh, she was always like the rebellious type. Yeah. To the point where I had to be, I think the more type A type would kind of get stuff done. Mm because she was always like off doing her own thing. So it was definitely reversed. For yeah. Us. Yeah. Uh, so you had no like uh, experience. I mean, you didn't have any of this come true within your own sibling group. No, definitely not. Yeah. We, I suppose we did in a very mild way, but it's still like we were so far apart that it just doesn't register the same way. Right. It seems like we were all individuals and none of us were really like that molded by the others just because right. we were so different in age. But um I did want to go into a couple of um uh, a couple of other scientific studies because uh I've always been curious about the birth order thing. It's always talked hmm. about as, you know, it's a commonly known thing, but I thought there must have been research done on it. So I thought I'd just look at a few studies. And of course, there's massive danger in looking at a few studies. Um, right. As, as Alexander Pope wrote, a little learning is a dangerous thing. And that's what I've got exactly is just very little learning here. But I thought just to maybe give a sense of the the breadth of this and how different things have been proved and kind of disproved, you know, study to study. Mm -hmm. uh, this was published um, by the National Library of Medicine. Uh, this is on ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. If you're interested oh, in that, that old site, that classic site. I'm sorry to drag it out again. Uh, but this study is called The Relationship of Birth Order and Gender with Academic Standing and Substance Abuse Among Youth in Latin America. So I thought, first of all, just that title is important because it's like, what are you talking about in terms of like, what are you measuring? This one is about academic right. standing and substance abuse. And then you think, oh, there must be like dozens of other things you could also measure. And yeah. it, this one is specifically in Latin America. Uh, so it's like, you know, the cultural factors there are going to be different than what you might imagine. Um, hmm. This was published uh, in 2012. And uh, their conclusion in this study was, it says, uh, being the firstborn male was a protective factor against substance abuse. It was also true hmm. of firstborn females. And then uh, it says for educational outcomes, birth order plays a different role. Uh, it says the firstborn does have, uh, being the firstborn does have an effect on better academic standing compared only to the youngest. In other words, being the youngest places the adolescent at risk of performing less well compared to older adolescents in their classrooms. So hmm. you're getting into this kind of granular, you know, like right. 
it's not the first compared to all, but the first only compared to the youngest and, and so on and yeah. so forth. And then uh, just for another example, again, just to kind of show the breadth of this, uh, I went back to our good friends over at PNOS. And uh, <laughs> in case we forget. Thank you. Thank you for going over the PNOS again. Yeah. Um, the, the PNOS, of course, is the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, that uh, August publication and i've been a i'm i'm known as a big pinos guy i yeah. mean um i i go to the the big pinos convention every year <laughs> and i show up people are like hey justin i mean they know me as a as a big yeah. pinos person there uh anyway so according to pinos um well this this study it's called examining the effects of birth order on personality this is from 2015 and uh it says we confirmed the effect that firstborns score higher on objectively measured intelligence uh, and additionally found a similar effect on self-reported intellect. However, mm. we found no birth order effects on extroversion, emotional stability, agreeableness, conscientiousness, or imagination. So they studied uh, sort of these okay. many different areas, and they did find a bit of uh, uh, like objectively measured intelligence. So part of the... Um, did the, I hear you say self-reported measure of intelligence? It's both. It's um, objectively measured and self-reported. So they think they're smarter than yeah, their siblings. They, they think they are, and it turns out they're true. They're, they're right. They're right. <laughs> they know they are. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think this is interesting because, well, part of the explanation for the intellectual aspect is that you spend more time just with adults if you're firstborn. You right. Know, there's a period of your life where it's you and your parents and they're talking to you, they're talking amongst themselves, and there's less like kid to kid communication in the house. Yeah. Uh so the firstborn gets this he gets kind of juiced in terms of um, you know, that sort of that level of communication yeah. and that boosts him a little bit. Um, so that makes a little bit of sense, I think. Mm. Uh, and that might account for uh, some of these findings. But anyway, all that is to say that if you go poking around in the research, you'll find a lot of different examples. And then you yeah. can only draw sort of just the barest, faintest conclusions. I read another um, another study. I don't have it in front of me now, but it said that the findings were, um, they reported significant findings, but also called them infinitesimal in terms of <laughs> their significance because it was just like the barest margin of benefit that they they detected at the end they're like why did we even do this stuff yeah, well, this was used <laughs> their conclusion was pretty depressed actually um but uh yeah so i think that's pretty much the nature of it. like there's something to it yeah but it's quite small and it's can be quickly and easily overridden by other external factors unique to that individual case is right. kind of what I've landed on. So there's mm. something to it, but it's, you know, it's definitely to be taken with a grain of salt. Makes sense. Well, I didn't have anything else to go with that. All that right. was all I had. Well, the timing is perfect to head over to Japati. You've got to go. You've got to go to the Japati. And here we are. Uh, this one has nothing to do with what we were talking about previously, and we might have covered it before. I have no idea. But excellent. Let's talk Good milk. Podcasting. <laughs> excellent podcasting here. Uh, let's talk milk, which you must be knee deep in around your house uh, these days with a three month old. Um, I always thought it was funny that, like, in English, you can just say milk, and it just means milk. But in Japanese, you've got gyunyu is the word that you default to for milk. Uh, but right. gyunyu, the gyu part of that is referencing a cow. So yeah. when you say gyunyu, you're kind of literally saying cow's milk. Like so, mm. I'm sure it you know it doesn't hit the ear wrong in Japanese, but people are walking around saying like, "Oh yeah, I had some cow's milk with breakfast." Like that's just what's coming out of their mouths. Yeah. So then if you refer to breast milk as gyunyu, you've made a horrible error. For sure. Because <laughs> it's not cow's milk. <laughs> and so if you're talking breast milk, you have to say bonyu, uh, like B-O-N-Y-U-U, -U, bonyu. Hmm. 
and this refers to breast milk. The the bone is, I believe, the character for mother. So it's kind of literally mother's milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you get into powdered milk, uh, the the new goes out the window, and you're in milk territory now. And it's konna miruku. The miruku, mm. of course, is um, the katakana for milk, and konna means powder. So powdered milk literally and it's funny that milk itself miruku is recognizable and used as a common term but yeah uh, it's it's better to say bonyu for breast milk gyunyu for cow's milk and then miruku is used with powdered milk interesting so they kind of I recently bought almond milk. milk and it also uses just the katakana miruku miruku oh yeah so that one slots in there too it's interesting yeah. how uh terminology can you can have one word for many things or you can have many words for many things and it seems almost arbitrary in Japanese or in English. It's just whatever yep. caught on over the years. Yep. Very so, good. Another successful Japanese of the day. How about McQuiffy? Uh, this one kind of ties back to the topics we were talking about earlier. And uh, I'm not going to tell you why I have this question till the end, but I'll just ask the question right away and curious to to see where you go. Uh, what would it take for you to have three or more kids? And would the promise of free college persuade you to have three or more? Hmm. <laughs> interesting. Uh, well, financially, I never really think about money which is like a very fortunate position to be in you know yeah i just (laughs) i have a stableish job and my wife has a stableish job and we can pay our bills and so i don't really agonize over it and then that makes me not care about college spending in the future i just figure it'll work out or somebody will take a loan like who cares I, i i realized as i was asking this question i'm asking this to the guy who basically got college paid for yeah i paid for almost uh, no college and works at a company who already promises free college for your kid. Yeah, yeah. So the question's kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't worn on my mind a lot. But also, if you look at financial incentives to increase birth rates, like this is common yeah. in Japan, of course, but it's happened in a lot of countries around the world now. They're trying to like incentivize procreation at a governmental right. level. And it's basically uh, impossible to move the needle with financial incentives because well yeah don't tell japan that okay because are they the inspiration for this question was that they're likely this month going to pass a bill that allows free college for families who have three or more kids hey hey that'll that's nice <laughs> i i honestly thought you were about to announce that you guys were going to have a third child that's what i thought was coming <laughs> Uh, and then that would be the last episode because I yeah. just died right here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a formal ending to the J-pops. Um, well, I mean, I think it's been pretty well understood for a long time. I mean, like, government only has so many levers to pull; they're mostly financial. Right. And uh, when their backs against the wall, like Japan's is with its low birth rate, yeah. they'll try to pull all of them in the face of, I think, evidence that it has negligible effects. And right. At They're the trying the... everything except the thing that'll work, like immigration. Yeah, yeah, to boost the numbers <laughs> a little bit. Uh, or if they could just, from the top down, somehow uh, make life easier. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like Japan is very strictured and rule-oriented and things must be done properly. And so then yeah. when you inject a kid at the wrong time, it must like hit wrong, you know, like, oh, this is going to disrupt my plans for doing things the right way. You know, I feel like that must psychologically be playing some effect here. So um, I don't think it's going to have a massive effect. Uh, Like, you know, like if you're thinking like, oh, that third kid, well, I don't know. College is free. Let's go for it, honey. Like that's not your decision making. But yeah, you're like, well, I still make you know, a thousand yen an hour, like yeah. <laughs> that's that possible right now. <laughs> yeah. And I still live in a two room apartment in Tokyo and yeah, like, how, my third kid, where's he going to go? So <laughs> the balcony's not that big. He can't slay out there. That's um, big enough. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of which my grandmother was one of eight and in the summer she slept on the balcony. So <laughs> it's possible, <laughs> but, uh, 
anyhow, I just, you might see in the aggregate, if you can even assess it properly, like a point one percent like eventually or something but it's not turning the tide to like 2.1 births per woman which is what they need to avoid right sub replacement fertility so uh i imagine that um it's not gonna sway me or anyone and it's great if you have the third kid and you're like oh sweet there's this benefit cool you know that kind of thing but it's probably not gonna push you over the edge to have that third child you know what would really sway me to have a third at this point would be like, you know, you have a third kid, you get free access to a nanny every day. Oh yeah. That, man, that would be helpful. Or like here's here's like cooking like coupons for like a cooking service every single mm. day. Like yeah. Oh man, that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. They if they had like a family's DoorDash or something that yeah. uh, just delivered a meal per day. Yeah, I mean, the college thing is so far out. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're planning kids now and then you're thinking, well, you know, college is going to be free. Who's to say that they're not going to change this rule back by then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or college falls out of favor and, fa- you know, right. in favor of some other direction or yeah. becomes or less popular. Or they want to go to a different country. Yeah, or chat GPT solved all of our problems and we don't need college. Anything's possible. Yeah, <laughs> shit. Well, that's what I'm banking Why on. Why haven't they just asked ChatGPT what the best solution is? Oh man, this is what they're missing. I think. Yeah, and ChatGPT speaks Japanese. There's no language barrier. Yeah, there's no reason they shouldn't. They shouldn't be using it right now. They should get on board. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty. It's a nice thing. It's an interesting thing, and I love all of the subsidies that come our way. But we didn't choose to have the child because of the subsidies. Right. So um, maybe, you know, in a way, once you go through the subsidies and you experience them, you're like, wow, the kid actually, you know, wasn't that hard because we got this benefit and that benefit. And yeah. there's a lot of help available. And that might actually inspire someone to have a second kid or a third kid uh, as compared to a reality where there are no mm. subsidies. And then you're like, man, we ran into expenses around every corner. We just can't do this. I guess I could see that influencing someone's thought process uh the college thing of course it wouldn't work because your kid's 17 or 18 and then most people are not in position to have a second kid at that point right Uh, but you know add it to the pile and maybe it kind of greases the gears for people a little bit yeah yeah who knows it's not going to persuade me but yeah i was curious for sure i am all that being said i should say i'm like in favor of incremental change i think people are too quick to shit on incremental change like well that's not going to change anything but i do like adding up about Hmm. a thousand incremental changes and then at the end you're like oh it actually did work because we did it a thousand times and uh now here we are with this better situation so i would say it's uh alone it's not going to do much but um i like the trend true all right Well, well um continue on with the jokes then Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Dad jokes. I've got three of them. How about you? I have two. All right. I will do the honors. What do you call a bunch of hay in a church? I don't know. Christian Bale. <laughs> uh, nice, nice, nice. I'm going to follow that with a similar one. <laughs> what do you call a music artist who mends clothes quickly? I don't know what Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, man, I was thinking of mend and so, and I didn't get to Taylor. There was another person who, who I took all these off Reddit and there was a, somebody else who commented could have been Mendelssohn. <laughs> Pretty good. All right. Uh, did you know that the first French fries weren't actually fried in France? They were fried in Greece. Oh, <laughs> Nice. Uh, I ran out of toilet papers, so I've begun using old newspapers. The times are really rough. (laughs) That's great. Uh, This last one, um, I thought because we discussed the um, August journal PNOS earlier, Mm. um, that I 
I could get away with telling this dad joke, which is slightly bluer than we usually work, but I thought I would go for it. Okay. Uh, a man went into the doctor and told him that he had five penises. And uh, the doctor was obviously shocked and said, how do your pants fit? And he said, like a glove. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, I hope that that's scribbled in the margins of the next edition of Peanuts. Perfect. I hope so. So thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on the site formerly known as Twitter at JPops Podcast or by email at info at the Talk to you next time. Pizza Nas time. <laughs>